I like visual aids, so I'm gonna move those to where they're part of the view. It's nice that we had a visit, uh, report from the Gowans as we think about the world, but a little different focus on the world today than just our missionary lives. And so there's your visual aids. Uh, good morning, my name is Charlie Rutledge. I'm one of the elders here. And as Mike said, uh, Matt and his family have been on spring break uh, trip this week. It's been great for them to be able to get away. Thankful for that. And I'm happy to be able to share with you today. I wanna point out that in your bulletin, there's not only a, uh, an outline that would be maybe helpful to follow along, but I also printed out a bunch of verses because not only are we gonna have a little bit of time in John, but I'm gonna to touch on a number of other verses. So I don't want you to be spending all your time trying to find those. And we'll also probably project them up on the screen if everything goes as planned. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you that we serve a risen Savior. And we thank you that your word and the Holy Spirit who applies it to our hearts is with us. Help me today to bring the encouragement that you have for us. And thank you that your work in us is that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. In Jesus' name we come. Amen. In our culture, there are many examples of, of stories where people are living their lives and they're suddenly transported into some parallel universe. Uh, Alice fell down the rabbit hole and suddenly entered this whole world of strange things. And more recently, we have the story of the Matrix where Neo took the red pill and suddenly was transported to a whole different reality. While those are fictional stories, there are two parallel realities that we as humans live in. The temporal world and the eternal world, represented today by this globe and by God's word. And if we don't understand the difference between these two worlds, I'm concerned that we won't live the life that God intended for us to live. Or even worse, we won't live the eternal life that God died to provide for us. Last week, we witnessed eight young people uh, declare their faith in Christ through baptism. As well, they, they shared their commitment to serving him with all their lives. And then we, as a body, uh, were also called to help them as they grow. Today, I want to take us uh, and look at how we continue to grow ourselves, how we continue to, to declare God's love ourselves and uh, grow in serving him as we all do that. And the amazing thing is that God has not only made us, but he provided everything that we need to succeed. My hope today is that we look closer at how he participates in our growth and how we partner with him in our daily lives as we live in these two worlds, these two kingdoms. Uh, Mike read it this morning, but turn with me to John chapter three and we'll just read the first uh, six, the three through six, verse three through six. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if you were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, stop for a second. Notice in the next couple of verses the two worlds and the two births. The two births and the two worlds. Jesus answered, verse 5, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. Our first birth is into the physical world, the world that's temporary, our existence in time. Our second birth is into the spiritual world, a world that's eternal, our existence in the spirit. The first world, we're born self-centered. This life is about me. In fact, we're born with a sin nature, and we start off with thinking that's already conformed to this world. The second world is God-centered. We serve God, not ourselves. Rather than the temporary, this world considers the daily things in this life with an eternal perspective. In the first world, we use our own strength and effort to try to have a good life. In the second, God gives us power, his power, to walk by faith, to walk in the spirit. Look at the promise of hope we have for living in the spirit. Go to uh, 2 Peter verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1 verse 2. It says grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his, great, his very great and precious promises. Notice that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. See, when we're born again, it changes us. He renews our minds. We begin to desire eternal things. We grow in the desire to be in the light, the desire to please God. And our responses to daily life are based more and more on the truth, God's eternal word. As you read and study God's word, I want to encourage you to look for that description of the two worlds and how we change and how we are changed as we come into the light. A few years ago, my father-in-law, John, many of you know him, he was living in independent, independently, but he fell and broke his hip. In a moment, I was thrust into a role of caretaker. This was a new set of challenges for me, dealing with hospitals, doctors, and the impact it had on dad's brain. It became a full-time burden. and was actually fairly exhausting for myself and my family. There were, unfortunately, very many arguments with the doctors and a frustration with a system that didn't seem to, where one hand didn't seem to know what the other hand was doing. I often did not handle those situations well. I definitely did not seem to be operating with an abiding peace and joy. What I had was an abiding sense of injustice with bits of anger and self-pity popping up regularly. 
I could see that God was testing me, and I had times of victory. But I knew that I was often relying on my own strength. I could see that. Well, Dad was strong, and he made it through that first break. But a few months later, he fell again and broke his femur and his arm. So we did it all over again. Now, since then, he's had a number of challenges. But he finally got to go home last month to heaven. He spent the last two weeks of his life in the hospital. And I was back at that place again, fighting for him. But God has been working with me, working on me in these past few years. And I'm thankful that I can see his power has been changing me. He's given me much more peace and joy and self-control when speaking to the doctors and other staff. The circumstances this time have even been much harder than before, but a growing focus on the second world and the truth I needed to abide there has made all the difference. God's power to change me is real. And I'm thankful for his love and his training. I also know that in his faithfulness, he will continue to train me to the day I leave this earth. Last week on Easter Sunday, Matt took us through Philippians 3, 7 through 11, looking at the power of the resurrection. And if you missed that, please go back and watch it. It's really fantastic. Matt shared that through the resurrection, Paul had gained a new perspective on everything that he had gained of value in this world. He concluded that it was actually worthless. It could never make him good enough. But what was of eternal value, Matt said, is knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. And we saw that through the resurrection, we receive the power to be like Christ. So today, if we go to that same passage and look a few verses down, we'll see the two worlds and how Paul uh, compares living in them. Look at Philippians 3, 18 and following. It says, for, I, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we may be like his glorious body. As believers, we live in both realities, but our citizenship is in heaven. And here we are reminded again of his power to bring everything under his control. He is working in us with that almighty power. Our role is to daily choose to have our minds renewed by his word. We turn from the lies of this dying world and fix our eyes on, the, on Jesus, the word of truth. You see, our choices every day will either be conformed to this world and following its ways, or our choices will be transformed by the renewing of our minds through God's word. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And notice this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. A renewed mind is one that is set on the things of the spirit. It moved its focus from the things of the world to the eternal things of God. It submits to God's ways instead of going along with the ways of this world. We have a daily choice, don't we? When we choose to submit to God and his word, our thinking moves from here to here. And by submitting to truth, we get to respond to life through the power of the spirit rather than our flesh. Here in the natural world, we function in our natural man. Here in the spiritual world, we function in the spirit. We still have to walk in this world having our faith tested every day. And we either believe God and his promises or we doubt his power to change us. When we get, when we get to choose, right? And when we choose truth, it comes with so much blessing, the abundant life that he promised. I think often our struggle in our walk, in our obedience, I think we struggle because we either don't understand what we signed up for as a Christian, or we forget. Jesus made it clear that a decision to follow him was not to be taken lightly. He was hated by those around him, and his followers, he said, would be hated as well. He called his followers to leave this world and its desires behind and to take up his cross and follow him. Those that are born again, born in the spirit, have transferred their allegiance from themselves and this world to God and the eternal. They've turned their backs on the ways and desires of this world and turned their heart, their affection, their desires to following and pleasing God. Turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. And again, notice the contrast of living in the temporal fleshly world to living in God's will. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. In this world, we're motivated to find our satisfaction in the things of the temporary existence, right? That's what we're after, the satisfaction in things that can, can come from this world. But as followers of Christ, our goal, our fulfillment is to do the will of the Father just as Jesus, our Savior, demonstrated for us. So now we are his ambassadors, showing the Father to the world by doing his will. It's now our job to show the world what it looks like to trust God in real life. Let me say that again. It's now our job to show the world what it looks like to trust God in real life. 
Hanging out with dad at the hospital gave me so many opportunities to be different than my natural man. And more than once, someone commented on what they saw in my response to hard things. God had changed me. God had allowed me to respond in a way that was not my natural man. So how do we do that? How, it's helpful to have a good understanding of what Matt talked about on Good Friday, repentant, repentance. Uh, Matt spoke about the importance of re repentance as he reminded us that we cannot look at the cross without coming face to face with our own sin that put Christ there. And repentance brings us to real sorrow over our sin. But as he pointed out, it also brings relief and joy knowing that as often as we repent, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. Matt went on to point out that repentance is a change of direction, that it flows out of seeing our sin and his payment for our sin. And I want to pick up there and look at what that change in direction, that change in thinking looks like in our daily life as we turn from our sins and turn to the cross, to the truth of who God is and what he's doing. When we're born again, repentance is not first about changing our behavior. It's first about changing our thinking, our beliefs. We recognize our sin and that forgiveness is only found in his righteousness. We turn from trusting in our own futile efforts to be good enough and turn to the cross where he paid for our sin. That change of heart and mind then comes, then comes the behavior that is in keeping with those beliefs. All through the Old Testament, you see this. When people recognized their evil ways and repented, they were turning from trusting in idols to trusting the true and living God. Well, how about us? When you became a Christian, if you are today, when you were born again, what role did repentance play? What did it look like for you? Matt described repentance as a changing of direction. For some of you, it may have been a dramatic realization that your beliefs were taking you down a path of emptiness and self-destruction. And when you understood the good news and the lies that you were living, you specifically turned your back on those beliefs and turned to the truth, the living God. And because of that, now every day you look for those old lies, those, the, those things that seek to, and, I'm sorry, look to those old lies, and you seek to renew your mind with God's word. Or maybe when you accepted Jesus as your savior, you did it because you knew you needed forgiveness and you wanted to be restored to a right relationship with God. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. But in the midst of that process of asking God for forgiveness, maybe you never really thought about what it meant to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Maybe since then, it's not come into your understanding that putting your faith in Jesus meant giving all of yourself to him. To live your life focused on him, his will, his pleasure, his ways in your daily life. Or maybe when you got saved, you clearly understood that becoming a Christian meant turning your back on your old beliefs, and you did that at first. But now maybe you find yourself struggling to live for Christ every day. Maybe you feel defeated in your daily walk. 
And maybe you had a different experience than any of those, but no matter what your experience and what your understanding of repentance, I want us all to be strengthened in how repentance plays a role in our daily life and how it can bring the growth and change that we need, that we want. The key is that repentance is not something we do once when we turn to faith in Christ and are saved from our sin. After we're saved, we live a life of daily repentance, turning our backs daily on the old thinking and the ways, its ways, and turning to truth and God's ways. Every day we need to reject the ways of this world and turn to God in his ways. When I would be at the hospital hoping to catch the doctor, uh, I had a conversation in my head, and it would often move toward fleshly thinking. I was preparing for battle. It would sometimes be minutes or even hours before I got to speak to the doctor, and sometimes they didn't come at all. Well, this was always an opportunity for me to see if I was focused on the temporal or on the eternal. And usually, it was easy for me to tell because I was either at peace, trusting God, or I would have some less spiritual experience like anger or worry stirring around in my heart. Thankfully, in the recent weeks I spent there, I usually saw when I was off and I repented. And that turning from sin, from that sinful thinking, and thinking on God and who he is and what he's doing in me, brought me back over here to joy. My mind was renewed and I was transformed once again. I want to step back and look at the big picture for clarity. You could describe the Christian life in three phases. The first is justification. That's when we're born again, forgiven for our sin and made right with God. This happens in a moment in time. Then also glorification is when we leave this world and enter eternity. This is also something that happens in a moment in time upon our physical death. But sanctification is everything in between. That sanctification is the daily process of, of God increasing our faith and obedience as he makes us more like himself. So now, between justification and glorification, we're called to run the race, the race of faith and obedience every day. Let's turn to a passage that we studied recently together, Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Running this race involves casting off our sin, repenting, right? Turning from sin to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In a sense, we wake up every day in this world, and we need to choose to trust God and serve him rather than ourselves. Then as I move through my day, if I find myself acting according to this world, repentance turns me from the lies of this world back to focusing on truth. 
When you face a small irritation in your life, in your day, or when you face a long-term deep trial, what is God's goal? What is God after? He wants us to face that trial with the power of the Spirit and come out from that trial or live through that trial with the fruit of the Spirit, right? The goal in this process and the expected result, according to Scripture, is that I receive and enjoy the fruit of the Spirit during those trials, during those little irritations and those long trials, things like peace, joy, self-control, perseverance, love. If I'm over here getting angry and, and about something and I recognized that I was angry and I repent, what happens? I'm cleansed and God supernaturally gives me those, those fruit of the Spirit, the peace and joy, love. So remember whenever you're in a trial that that's what God's after. He's put you there so that you can grow in your faith, so that you can see your, your sin and repent and receive the fruit of the Spirit. Well, it's also helpful if we understand and see God correctly. So I want to spend just a minute on that. Um, what does God look like to a person who is trafficking in this world? And what does God look like to a person trafficking with this perspective, with the eternal perspective? We want to see God as he truly is and how he's working in our circumstances, right? So you go to the doctor, and you're in that waiting room for an hour and a half, only to wait for another half an hour in that little room with wearing something made of tissue. How do you respond? A lot of us have been there. It's just part of the way it works. Well, in this world, you feel justified to complain to everyone, and God appears. What God looks like is that he's being unfaithful. He's not helping you have a good day. In this world, it really is about me and my happiness. That's my perspective. My hope is that things will go my way, the way I want them to. And when they don't, my primary goal is to what? To fix it, to get rid of it, to remove it, so that my life is better, so that my day goes better. But when I can't fix it, I respond from my own strength, and often in unproductive ways. As we look around us, the world is filled with those responses, and hopefully not our own lives are filled with those responses. Things like anger or apathy, violence or intoxication, broken relationships, broken homes, broken lives. This world does not provide us with real answers, real lasting change for the better. And here's the thing, if we think that God is going to make all things good in this world, we will be disappointed in him when he doesn't, because that's not what he promised, is it? So what does God look like in the second world? Here we see what? We see God's faithfulness, because he's helping me with the goal of growing in faith and representing him. Here it's about God's being God's child and pleasing our eternal Father, and trusting and obeying him, and receiving the mountain of blessing that comes from that. It would be nice, and um, my hope, while I should say while it would be nice, my hope is not in fixing 
the circumstances. It really is about his love and his, his provision. Really, it's our hope in his ability to, um, to put us in the best circumstances to help us with his goal, which we want to be our goal, which is to become more and more like him. Then when he does, our hope is in his ability to help us respond by faith and enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Imagine in the midst of injustice, and there's a lot of that going around, Imagine in the midst of that that you have peace, joy, patience, self-control, and love. That's what God promises for those who follow him. That is what he calls us to be in him. Because I know he is doing what's best for me, even if that means suffering, I still see his faithfulness in the second world. My daughter Kathleen has four wonderful children who are always perfect angels. They are my grandchildren anyway. But she often has those moments when they're not all on board with her plans. We were talking, Kathleen and I were talking the other day about how God's using those times to sanctify her. For example, they were all in the van one day getting ready to go to church or on their way to church and it seemed that all four of them were talking at the same time. Actually, she said they were bickering. As the volume went up, so did her desire to threaten them with loss, with great loss, if they didn't stop and be kind to each other. Thankfully, God has been teaching her that this is him giving her an opportunity to turn from those thoughts and to see him training her. So she thanked the Lord for the reminder, and, uh, and she did not threaten them. But rather, she took the opportunity to train her children with love and patience. In other words, with the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. All day long, we're in these situations, and I call them mental forks in the road. In each moment, we decide if we're going to serve self or serve God. Let's say that you're running late, and you're in a line at the store, and it's going so slow. You can feel your anxiety growing with every minute, complaining to your fellow sufferers and maybe posting something on Facebook. You begin to move toward anger. But if you've been learning truth and are reminded in that moment that you can turn from that thinking, and you do, you repent, God will bless you with the peace and joy that you actually need in that moment. Or let's say that you've been helping someone and they just criticize you. How ungrateful. Well, this is that fork in the road, right? Will you turn to God and what he's been teaching you about pride or bitterness? His blessing is waiting for you over here when you turn. Or how about when your beloved forgot to pick something up you desperately needed when they were in Ventura? Now what am I going to do? If our thinking's over here in the flesh, we might have a few choice words for our beloved. Honestly, destructive words. But if we've been renewing our mind with God's word, the Holy Spirit can remind you and convict you to trust God with that need. Most of all, you don't hurt your loved one 
but instead you show them what it looks like to trust God. Touchdown, right? Think about it. How do others get to see God for who he really is? How does that happen? We are his ambassadors, right? We represent him to the world around us, in our families, in our workplaces, in our social relationships, and on social media. I believe the best way to show, for us to show how real he is is when, he, by his power, we act supernaturally. I'm not talking about what we normally think of as miracles, but I am talking about the real miracle of responding to life completely differently than this world. When we have every reason to be, well, every reason and right to be angry and unforgiving, but instead you show love and forgiveness, it shows the power of God, the power to change you. When that moment truly cries out for worry and fear and God gives you gratefulness and thanksgiving, peace and joy, we get a better look at the God who gives that. It's the only source we have for that. Remember in Matthew 5, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may, they may see your good works and what? Give glory to, the, to your Father who is in heaven. The good works here are not things you can do in your own power. Otherwise, they would be works of our flesh. But when you have supernatural responses to life, to those trials, and that response is, is the peace that what? Passes understanding, supernatural. That glorifies God. It shows how real he is and it shows his power in our lives. In that moment, you get to see God better yourself. And then everyone around you does too. But if in those moments we are conforming to the lies of this world, what do we do? We get angry, we worry, we get impatient, we say things that we regret, maybe we do things that we regret. Remember, what is God's goal? It's to help us turn from this world and its desires and to look to Jesus and the truth of who God is. He wants, to, he wants us to see his power and love coming together to care for us, and especially to care for us in having the, and enjoying the fruit of the Spirit. That's what God has provided. He's provided that to those who love him. He's given us his word, he's given us the indwelling Holy Spirit, and he's given us each other. Okay, so how do we grow in these things? How do we, how do we get better at this? First, take the red pill. In other words, be born again. Make sure you've made that decision. Ask God to show you where you are, and he will help you. Now, if you haven't entered eternal life, you will not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. The power of the resurrection will not play a, a role in your life. But you can be born again today, right now. And you can start this marvelous journey if that's you, please don't uh, hesitate to talk to me or someone else before you leave today. Or if you're watching online, 
give one of us a call, call the office. So then once we're born again, we need to choose daily repentance and life in the spirit. This way is not, a, un, I should say, this life is not unrealistic. Sometimes that's one of the biggest lies the devil tells us is that we can't do it. We can't be like that. Oh, that's super saint. This life, this way of life is not unrealistic. It's actually God's promise. If we're born again, it's how God expects us to grow daily in our lives. Now, none of us were born again perfected, right? Rather, he's sanctifying us every day. Um, I wish I could take a pill and suddenly have the fruit of the Spirit all the time in every way. But that's not how God, God's work, God works, is it? But I encourage you to work to recognize when you come at the, to those forks in the road. It takes, it takes attention to notice them sometimes. They're very subtle. We have those choices all day long. And in any given moment, we choose to walk in the flesh or we, want, we choose to walk in the Spirit. And when you see that you're in the flesh, responding according to the ways of this world, what should we do? We repent. We turn to God. Talk to him. Um, ask for help. Ask others for help. Seeing those lies that are tempting you to sin, take that action. And then search God's word for the truth that will overcome those lies. Find the truth that you need to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And once you've done that, third, take the action that is in keeping with repentance. Once you've seen that fork in the road and you've repented and taken the, the path of the Spirit, take the action that comes with that. When you confess your sins, don't stop there. Finish the process. So often we recognize something, oh, Lord, thank you, sorry for that, thank you for forgiving me, and we go on. But there's more to the process if we want to really grow. Were you anxious or angry before you repented? Stop. Give God thanks for his love and power. Give thanks that he will bring, uh, that he will bring about his will in that situation that was making you angry, that you were angry about. Were you tempted to say things that are not kind, but you repented? Now ask God for help putting on kindness and compassion, reminding yourself of the truth that God has given you. There's another step you can take after the confession. Were you discouraged and giving up, but you repented of that? Look to Jesus. Seek his face. Go to someone who will remind you of truth, someone who will help you overcome your wrong thinking, those, those actions that come after repentance. Maybe you failed completely and you have no hope. Repent of any sin that you're holding on to. Go to the only one who can cleanse you white as snow. Then, once you've done that, bathe yourself in the truth of God's word. Write out his promises. Ask him for the faith and hope you need to trust him to move forward in your life. And when you find that truth, no matter what situation, when you've gone to the word and you find that truth he's given you, find ways to keep it and remember it so that you're better prepared for the next time you face similar lies, right? We do that in so many areas of our life where we train and we learn and we line upon line. We need to do the same thing. 
with our, with our obedience. And then please, please make sure that you share God's work in your life with others. Share what God has done in your life. We need your testimony. The rest of the body and others around you need to hear what God is doing. We need to see how real he is in your life. Share with your family. Share with your small groups. Share with the people in your life that know the Lord. But especially share with the people who don't know the Lord. Take steps to be his ambassador. As I close, remember, God is faithfully working his goal, working out his goal to prepare us for eternity. He is increasing your faith so that you will see him better and then obey him better. He wants you to experience his power in your life every day. And he wants you to enjoy the fruit of the spirit in every situation. And especially remember that he will do the work. He will bring the change. It's our part to seek him, to seek truth, and to place our trust in him. Then, <laughs> then we can give thanks in all circumstances. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us new birth into eternal life. And thank you that you don't leave us there as babies in our faith. You help us to see you in all circumstances. Help us repent when that's what we need. And thank you for always cleansing us when we do. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and how he trains us every day. We love you, and we come in Jesus' name. Amen.